I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Boston Massacre. So grab your snowballs. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Wallentowski. You looked so forlorn <laughs> admitting that. <laughs> <sighs> and I think by this point, when this comes out, it will be March, which is crazy. That's insane. I It's hard for me to like predict what March Lizzie's going to be like, but I'm feeling hopeful. That Great. she's going to be a rock and roll good time. Well, she's going to L.A. for a little bit. She's going to L.A. By the time this comes out, I will be in L.A., everybody. Shout out to me to being in weather above um, 30 degrees. Yes. <laughs> I can't Go wait. Those walks, those hikes, go outside. Walks, heights, sun. No snow, fuck Salads, all the things. That's what I associate mm-hmm. with L.A. So... Yeah. 
you know, happy LA to me. Shout out to future me who is going to be sunbathed and sunkissed. Yes. But weirdly enough, we're not talking about my jaunt to LA uh, for this episode. We are talking about something I would say at the opposite end of that spectrum. And that is, of course, the Boston Massacre. When I when I think what is the opposite of Lizzie going to LA, it is the Boston Massacre. They are quite literally opposite sides of the country. Correct. And sunny happenings on beaches and walks outside, quite the opposite, the exact opposite, in fact, from a deadly skirmish. I tell the skirmish fed the American Revolution and the skirmish heard around the world. The shot heard around the world. Heard around the world. Maybe your tanning will lead to greater and more important things than just your sun-kissed skin. But probably not. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But yeah, we're going to talk about the Boston Massacre. Um, Again, one of those things that I you know about that you know heard about. You've heard it. you know that it has to do with that time period. We were forced to learn it in school, yeah. probably years and names and dates. But honestly, when Lizzie suggested this as an episode, because we've talked a little bit about Boston Massacre, but we haven't done an episode on her. When Lizzie suggested it, I was like, that's a great idea. Because I don't even know what happened at the Boston Massacre. Massacre, I just know that people died. But I don't right. really know the details. Right. So I'm so happy we're doing this for my own edification. Me and too. And our sweet, sweet listeners. Yes. Yes. I. It is interesting to me that, like, as, as young school children, always a must-learn is the Boston Massacre. It's just right. like, oh my God. I love that this is okay to teach children, but not like, you know, that there's racism in the country, like, because they can't, sure. it'll make them feel bad. And I'm like, you know what makes kids feel bad? A massacre. Murder. The massacre. Murder. Death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Death. I feel like in the same time we were learning about these kinds of things and that people were killing each other for, you know, ideas. Um, We also, like... We're learning how to do fire drills and tornado drills and like right that like and now the shooter sense drills of like, and now shooter drills like the sense of this like something could come in and physically harm me and the mm-hmm. other people around me is a very heavy concept to learn about and then also and immediate but yet also then learning about the Boston massacre where people are just like in a conflict that like maybe kind of happened by mistake right. Right. It, 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 like, a, like basically a a tavern brawl gone too far is kind too of far. how I, you know, just a bunch of guys who are kind of pushing and shoving and whoopsie daisies, mm-hmm. a gun went off and suddenly hell breaks loose. Yeah. Never it good. It sounds to me like a really unfunny episode of It's Always Sunny. <laughs> the writers of it's always sunny are responsible for the boston massacre <laughs> you know them from their work <laughs> from it's always sunny uh it's the boston massacre oh my God. yeah it's a it is a whoopsie daisy um but yep. important because it, you know it kicks it kicks off our independence truly it is it is 
one of the first big old things that starts like actual combat between yeah uh Udodestad and the redcoats and the redcoats so true. i say let's get our muskets out and get into it but before we do do you want to talk about today's sources i thought you would never ask yeah i would love to do that today's notes are coming from freedom trail Love from their website, but also an organization that I think preserves and educates about incidences and locations and events having to do with American independence from Great Britain. Sure, Smithsonian Magazine, an article by Lily Katzman. We love Smithsonian, love Smithsonian, and of course, could not do this episode without her. Our one true love, history.com. I love it. So, as always, I'm going to start us off. Just a yummy overview of what the Boston Massacre is before we get into the meat of the massacre. So, for those of you who do not know, the Boston Massacre was a deadly riot that occurred on, and this is why we're doing this episode this week, March 5th, 1770 on King Street in, of course, Boston. So happy anniversary, I guess, to the Boston Massacre. It began as a street brawl between American colonists and a lone British soldier, but quickly escalated to a chaotic, bloody slaughter. I bet this lone British soldier was a little wiener. <laughs> it was like it was probably Kevin, who was just out being a being a jerk. And the American colonists were like, I'm sorry, what? Kevin, get out of here. Sit down, Kevin. Sit down, Kevin. The conflict energized anti-British sentiment and paved the way for the American Revolution. And then the actual site, the Boston Massacre site marker is located at the intersection of State and Congress streets in downtown Boston outside of the old State House a few yards away from where the massacre took place, because I'm sure where the massacre took place is now like a FedEx station. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. And so they're like, actually, let's put it on the street corner and put a plaque and say it was here. Nobody gonna know. Somebody from the Boston massacre had to be standing there at some point. Exactly. I love this. The massacre site has been moved twice, (laughs) both times (laughs) from the center of the intersection Today, a medallion on the Freedom Trail marks the site of the Boston Massacre and reenactments. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. We have to go to the Boston Massacre reenactment. I mean, could you even? I'll get thrown pack out. our bags. I'll get thrown You're out gonna, of the Massacre the- reenactment. They're going to they're gonna escort me off of the Freedom off. Trail if right. I if I am able to observe. Wow. Put it on the list. So reenactments hosted by the Bostonian Society take place on the anniversary every year. Shoot! Shoot! Very If you weren't going to L.A. I know, I'll be in L.A. We could go to the reenactment. Shit. Poorly timed. Poorly timed on my part. Poorly timed. You know what? We'll just have to do it next year. It's just going to have to be a thing we do. Well, we're going to have to make the great pilgrimage to Boston, which is something we we simply must do. We have to go. We must do. There's so much to see in Boston. Yep. We'll do a long weekend. I don't think I've ever, I've never been to Boston. I've only been to Boston for a work trip and only stayed within like, you know, a five block radius as people do on work trips. 
So right, right. it was not, I don't think it was, it didn't feel like actually going to Boston. It felt like going to the Ace Hotel. A Hyatt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Hilarious. Well, let's take a trip to Boston. We should get, I mean, this is poor Houston, but we should get Houston to make us a list of places we said we oh want to go because I feel like Houston? this list is now pretty Houston. <laughs> um, I feel like this list is now pretty long and I can only remember three of the things that we've said. Right. So Houston, uh, once again, I'm speaking directly to you. First of all, we love you here. Let's get civical. So, so much. Just start keeping a track of the psychotic places we list that we want to go. <laughs> right now, oh I think it's it, we've we've said we've mentioned at least forty three states that we want to go at to. At least forty three states. Thank God we both have cars. I know. And vroom vroom, hit the road. Vroom vroom, hit the road. And that the most of the places because we both live on the East Coast, we should be fairly easy. Ish. Drivable. Aside from some aside from some of the presidential libraries, which I'm sure will be right all over. Right. Oh my goodness. So back to the Boston Massacre, the actual topic of today's episode. Why did it happen? Why? Why was the Boston Massacre a thing? Tensions in the American colonies were rising. For one, the British Parliament's 1765 Stamp Act required colonists to pay an extra fee for every piece of printed paper. Don't do imagine. Don't you? Don't you come for the stamps? Mm-mm. Don't you come for the stamps, man? No. I'm like, if you come for our stamps, we'll kill you. <laughs> like, I get it's the principle. Like, I understand right, it's, right, not, right, it's right. not about stamps themselves, but the fact that, like, that's what the thing ended up being, you right. know, like, start, like start, you know, the tipping point. It yeah. just looks a little, you know, it's, it's hard it's a little, to it's rally. It's a little rush. It's a little rush to violence that. for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a little rush to violence. Well, because you got stamps, then you got tea. You got tea. the tea, you know. We're very and upset like, about oh my a God. lot of things. <laughs> How are we not this upset about slavery, guys? <laughs> no 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 that's 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 something we just got to sit down and talk about we can't no 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 can't be rushing to action over that also the 1767 townsend act which imposed taxes on imported goods such as china glass lead paint paper and tea so resentful toward their lack of representation in parliament, which kept passing these laws that were then imposed on the American colonists, even though they had no representation in the parliament and desirous of the same rights that their fellow British subjects had, the colonists agitated for relief from the burdensome levies, which is long speak to say they were pissed and angry. They were pissed. They were mad. And I would be mad. I'm mad. mad too. Yeah. In response, George III dispatched roughly a thousand troops to the Massachusetts town of Boston to curb the colony's ongoing unrest. I should say this is also all coming from the article by Lily Katzman from Smithsonian Magazine. Love it. The soldiers had been stationed in Ireland for some years. These soldiers that George III has just called up of roughly a thousand people. Um, And some of the soldiers had been in Ireland for close to a decade, establishing roots and families while they were there because... Of course, nobody sits in a one-room house for 10 years just twiddling their thumbs. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you maybe sure? you could. 
but you might go a little bit crazy. Concerned that this deployment to the American colonies would result in an overflow of needy children draining the resources in Dublin, the British government allowed for hundreds of wives and kids to accompany their husbands and fathers on the 1768 journey, which I think is pretty forward-looking. It, I mean, sure. Look, every now right? and then and we see something in the 1700s where we're like, okay, progressive. <laughs> okay. Hey, look hey. at you. Look at you thinking. I mean, it wasn't like they were like, well, we should keep the families together. It's good for the children yes, and the wives. The children, and the, you know, the men will be happier. Home. They're like, we don't want to pay for them. Send them with the husbands and make them pay for them. Sure. It was a money thing. But you know what? It was good for everybody. For the good of the children. For the good of the children. For the good of the children. Yeah. So for the next two years, British and Irish families lived alongside colonists in Boston. They assisted each other when in need and established neighborly relationships, only for those relationships to be irreparably damaged when British troops fired upon Bostonians, the colonists, killing five in what became known as the Boston Massacre. I mean, uh, yeah, I would say... I would say if you start killing people... It's hard to come back from killing people. It's really hard to come back. A brawl, like, like, you know, a fist fight. Even like, oops, I stabbed you in the arm. We can come back from all of those things. But when you start shooting people, it's like, okay... That's a deal breaker for me. Yes. I, you know, you can't, I, I would have I enjoyed lending you sugar. I would have enjoyed Matthew. it. I would have kept, I would have kept lending you sugar. But... I would have kept doing it, but you've taken a shot on me and I have no choice but to return fire. Exactly right. Because it's 1760 something and this is the era in which we live. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about. How, like the tension, there's tension, we're leading up, we're leading up, and now suddenly it's it's about to be March 5th. What happened on the day? So, the tensions that led to the Boston Massacre were the product of the occupation of Boston by the Redcoats in 1768, like we discussed. The Redcoats were sent to Boston to quell riots in the wake of the towns and duties and protect customs officials. So we're, we're flooding... Tensions are high because of all these acts. So what do the British do? They're like, let's send more redcoats. Let's add more people. Fuel to to the fire. Let's fuel the fire. Let's literally put red on the fire. Mm -hmm. Skirmishes between colonists and soldiers and between patriot colonists and colonists loyal to Britain, also called loyalists, not very creative in this time period. No. Were increasingly common. So we're... Little brawls happening left and right, basically. We're already starting to like, yeah, little shouting have matches, disagreements amongst ourselves. Lines are being yeah. drawn in the sand. You know, you're yeah. either with us or you're against us. Yeah. To protest taxes, patriots often vandalized stores selling British goods and intimidated store merchants and their customers. On two twenty two, a mob of patriots attacked a known loyalist store. Customs officer Ebenezer Richardson, oh my god, Ebenezer, you never stood a chance. Lived never stood near, a chance. I know. Lived near the store and tried to break up the rock-pelting crowd by firing his gun through the window of his home. This man. This man. Is a Floridian. 
is a Floridian. You're correct. <laughs> You're correct. He is this a Floridian. Is, this is a Florida story. Shout out to our listeners in Florida. We love you. What is going on? What is going, what is on, going on down in that little state of yours? His gunfire struck and killed an 11-year-old boy named Christopher Sider and further enraged the Patriots, which, like, fair. This was, yes. this was like a lone vigilante trying to be the law. And not only did he kill somebody, he killed a child. A child. A child. So I understand being mad about that. It's like, hey, my dude, we were using rocks, which are not right. deadly weapons. Not to say that what they were doing was in accordance with the law. I get it. But you right. don't or kill even morally, people. right? Right, right. But you, it, it's like, you know, the, the pinch doesn't match the ouch. No. Seven days later, a fight broke out between local workers and British soldiers. It ended without serious bloodshed, but helped set the stage for the bloody incident yet to come. So it's just like clash and upon clash upon clash. And like, yeah. There is no resolve to these clashes. Like, it is destined to become fatal. It's a, Yes, because people are just getting more and more angry. The tensions right. are building. Right. And there are no, there's no de-escalation tactics no. being deployed from either no. side. It's honestly, the British are just putting more people on their side into Boston. And the colonists right. are like, I'm going to keep getting bigger rocks. Because it's what we call in the writing world the unsolvable problem. It is. Is that you have these people, the colonists, who have who are living here. They've been this is their home. And they're living next to people who don't want them to be to to be free, to experience freedom in the way that the British citizens do. Right. It's like, what is the word? What's the word? And so, of course, there's always going to be skirmish and conflict because right. the two groups of people cannot live side by side when their wants for these things are in such conflict. Right. And there is no, there is no mediation in sight. There's no, there's no diplomacy in sight. Mm-mm. No. So with 2,000 soldiers, these are British soldiers, occupying Mm -hmm. a town with a population of about 16,000, friction was inevitable. The violent clash on March 5th, 1770, began with an argument that led to a riot outside of the customs house. On the frigid, snowy evening of March 5th, Private Hugh White was the only soldier guarding the king's money stored inside the customs house on King Street. So, and first of all, we're going to put one guy to guard the money? Right, there's 2,000 of you. And yet, yes, one guy. We got Hugh on it? Even when the MTA comes to take the money out of the machine, they send two people. And an armored truck. (laughs) In an armored truck. And that's the MTA who can't really do anything. So I'm just saying. I am also just saying this. I feel like first and foremost, bad strategy, bad military strategy on the British once again. Once again. Once again. 
It wasn't long before angry colonists joined him and insulted him and threatened violence. So yeah, you're, you have you have guys coming home from the pub. You have guys strolling around and they're like, I'm sorry, Hugh is here by himself guarding the money. Mm-hmm. Hey, fuck you, Hugh. Like that's, that's yeah. of course that's they're going to yell at Hugh. Right. At some point, Hugh White fought back and struck a colonist with his bayonet. Perfect. Mm-hmm. In retaliation, oh my god, I the colonists <laughs> pelted him with snowballs. <laughs> you take that, Hugh. Oh my god, dick. it's like that scene in Elf where they um, <laughs> go after the bullies by uh, pelting them with snowballs. Oh my god! Little, uh, little did they know that that. <laughs> They drew that they were doing a reenactment of the Boston Massacre. Correct. I hope the (laughs) reenactors do start this off with snowballs. Oh my God. So the colonists pelted him with snowballs, ice, and stones. They loved throwing rocks. They They loved loved throwing throwing rocks. I would say that was their calling card. I just, my question about the rocks and the stones is are they just in the streets from like building the buildings? Where are we finding them? Are we going to get them? Or are they I mean, just it could be like gravel roads, you know? That's true. Maybe. I, I, I don't know if everything is cobblestone, like set in cobblestones. I also imagine if there are cobblestones, like they're probably not hard to, to shimmy right. out of cobblestone sure, sure, from sure. the cobblestone roads, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's 1770. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, you could tell me that they're... That they there's just boulders lying everywhere in Boston. And I'd be like, absolutely. 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 Correct. Correct. Bells started ringing throughout the town, usually a warning of fire, sending a mass of male colonists into the streets. As an assault on White continued, he eventually fell and called for reinforcements. So this is how this is playing out so far according to history.com and i think just in general history whites by himself male colonists come by they see white they start you know jeering at him and calling him him names and harassing him he hits one of them with their with his bayonet then they're like okay my dude here's some snowballs and stones and now that you've struck us we're gonna strike you there's more of us than you they're probably hitting him punching him etc etc Somebody starts ringing a bell, bringing more people to the scene, and he, <laughs> White, is like, help! British! Somebody! Tweet, tweet, toot, toot, come here! <laughs> and and it, we're rising. Tensions are rising. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, 
that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. In response to White's plea and fearing mass riots and the loss of the king's money, Captain Thomas Preston of the British arrived on the scene with several soldiers and took up a defensive position in front of the customs house. As you know, the British, they love their formations. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure they like, you know, that famous formation of that, like some are kneeling, some are standing, guns pointed at the bayonets forward. Very much. I I, I see it. Charlie's Angels tableau in my mind's eye. Yeah. This is what I'm picturing. They're they're like, we mean business. We are now in fighting position. Mm-hmm. So come so out. Step us. off. Step off. Step off. Worried that bloodshed was inevitable, some colonists reportedly pleaded with the soldiers to hold their fire as others dared them on to shoot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Pick which one it's you are. So it's so American of us. So American. Shoot it's me. so American male. It's shoot like, me. yeah, go shoot ahead. Me. Take a shot. Do Take it. a shot. I dare you to shoot me. I dare you to shoot me. Preston later reported a colonist told him the protesters planned to carry off White from his post and probably murder him. I mean, I just feel like Preston is doing damage control with that story because he's trying to justify why they use deadly force. I think, Mm, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, I don't think that the colonists were planning to murder White. I think that they were, they, once White hit him, I think they were planning on beating him and leaving him in the street. Oh, okay. But it just, because it just doesn't match any of their other, like, behaviors. They were throwing stones, for God's sakes. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you take a stone to the head a couple times. I mean, that shit's going to hurt. There's also a lot of them and one of him. Right. I think that if White would have died, that is definitely possible. But I don't think the right. intent was to murder him. I think the intent oh, was retribution. Yes. And whoops, I can understand it. We took right. it too far. Or, also to like kidnap and murder him. Right. Right. Preston's laying out this like devious plan. And I'm like, these guys are right. probably, first of all, not sober. 
Second of all, like they got to go home to their wife and lots of children. Where are they going to mm-hmm. take him off to in the middle of Boston? Just a couple of colonists right. carrying a red coat. You got to assume <laughs> out of the that. I mean, there are 2000 soldiers in Boston. You mean to tell me right, that they're right, going right. to just shimmy him somewhere without being detected? No, I think that in the moment they were like, let's beat the shit out of Hugh while we're here because he's a jerk. Right. Right. And, you know, then we'll leave and be like, sorry, <laughs> shouldn't have right. been a jerk. Maybe have more people on duty next time. I right. don't know. Right. Maybe one dude isn't enough. Right. The fact that it's the British captain reporting this, I'm like, ugh, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. You're lying like to justify FBI. what you did. Which, like, same. I would do the same. I'd be like, yes, they, they also, they plan to murder me. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> of course I shot them. They were gonna. They were gonna kill Hugh. <laughs> so we had to kill them. So we had to. We had to shoot. We had to all of them. Hugh was going to die. Yeah. In the streets. What would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have let Hugh die? I can't do that. I can't. I can't do that. Hugh Not is Hugh. my best friend. He was my brother. He was my brother. I am Hugh. Hashtag. We're I all am Hugh. Hugh. We are all. We're all Hugh. Hugh. So the violence escalated obviously. And the colonists struck the soldiers, the British soldiers, with clubs and sticks. Great. Reports differ on exactly what happened next, but according to history.com, after someone supposedly said the word fire, a soldier fired his gun, although it was unclear if the discharge was intentional. I just feel like if you are a soldier in the quote, Greatest army in the world. You can't distinguish when your general is saying fire versus when somebody on the other side is saying fire. That's insane. Bad soldier. Bad soldier. Bad soldier. Because right. I'm, because imagine, like, ultimately, like, I don't think that the general or whomever, the captain, sorry, Captain Thomas. I don't think Captain Thomas was particularly peeved that he accidentally shot the colonists. I think... They were probably fine with that. But imagine, like, imagine there would have been, like, a worse scenario, you know? Yeah. And you, and you, super trained military soldier, can't distinguish? (laughs) Come on. Come on, you know the sound of Captain Thomas's voice. (laughs) He's British. (laughs) What is this I hear? He's British and they're not. Fire, not like I know. Fire. I know they probably like, the colonists probably also had like a relative British accent, but you have to imagine sure, that sure. Captain sure. Thomas was a little bit different, probably a little more articulate. Yeah. A little bit more articulate, probably from Manchester. Don't sure, know that for certain. So somebody supposedly hears the word fire, and people on both sides start firing. It's may it's it's mayhem and melee. Things are happening in the streets. Crazy craziness. And when the smoke has cleared, five men lay dead or dying. The first man to fall at the Boston Massacre was a dock worker named Crispus Attucks, who was of African and indigenous descent. Little is known about him, yet he is one of the most important figures, or became one of the most important figures in the revolution. He was the first to die at the Boston Massacre. 
Among the other casualties of the massacre was Samuel Gray, a rope maker who was left with a hole the size of a fist in his head. Holy oh shit. Oh my God. What? I also don't like the idea of somebody going up to him and being like, whoa, that's whoa, the size of dude. a fist. That's fucked up. Yes. I mean, it was- Where it, would that even, how do you survive that? Like, where would you- You, you even... don't. He was a casualty. you (laughs) you literally do not survive that oh my god oh my god i mean you know honestly i will say like i'm sure that there's like a miracle situation out there where like you know it was the skull that got destroyed but the brain was fine and you kind of like bandage it up and like put a metal plate in there i think modern medicine there's a slim chance a very slim chance somebody could miraculously survive that but samuel gray did not survive this <laughs> no 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 modern no, no, medicine no. Is only... you can't you can't bleed him and and hope no. that, that fixes a <laughs> he's already lost all of his blood right no and i'm sure gone r.i.p yes r.i.p so sorry <laughs> i think because it said who was left with made it sound uh, like he survived sure. it and i was like how do you survive how that? do you survive no, no. it the beginning of the sentence was among the other casualties. We're right. doing stellar. Also, uh, a casualty from the Boston massacre was sailor James Caldwell. He was hit twice before dying. And Samuel, Samuel Maverick and Patrick Carr were mortally wounded. So, so five of, people are left dead. Dying and death. Which, you know, is uh, not good. Not good. Not good, you know? Not good. The Sons of Liberty held funerals for the victims and organized a vicious propaganda effort in order to turn public opinion against the Redcoats and labeled the tragedy a, quote, bloody massacre. So yeah. the the Sons of Liberty, that's like John Hancock and mm-hmm. Samuel, Samuel Adams. Adams maybe. Yeah. 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 So they're, I mean, to say that they used it. Oh, for sure you know, they used it. They, for, I mean, for sure they did. Like, I mean, it was a us. real event. And people yeah. did die. Yeah. But you also, I mean, you like a, a group of dudes walks up to another, to a single dude and well, starts taunting the single dude. Like, what do you want the single dude to do? Well, that is why it is fully propaganda. Yes. Which is like a nugget of truth circled by a lot of um, embellishment. Ooh, yeah. I like that definition. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. People forget I'm a genius. It astounds me every day. I know. I know. So let's talk about what happened next. So March 5th happens, five men, and notice all colonists. So no British soldiers die from this skirmish. So what happens next? Within hours, Preston and his soldiers, these are the British, were arrested Mm -hmm. and jailed. And the propaganda machine was in full force on both sides of the conflict. Preston wrote his version of events from his jail cell for publication, while the Sons of Liberty, such as we talked about, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, incited colonists to keep fighting the British. As tensions rose, British troops retreated from Boston to Fort William. So they're like, let's just take a step back here. We feel like, you know, we there could be like, a moment of actual proper rioting and militia from the colonists. Yeah. Let's retreat, regroup, yeah. 
probably let this blow over is also what they yes. were probably thinking. Like, let them be mad. And yeah. then we'll slowly kind of regain the status quo. Paul Revere, we know and we love him, encouraged anti-British attitudes by etching a now-famous engraving depicting British soldiers callously murdering American colonists. It showed the British as the instigators, though, as we know, the colonists had started the fight. True. True. It also portrayed the soldiers as vicious men and the colonists as gentlemen. I mean, sure, make yourself look good. Sure. It was later determined that Revered had copied his engraving from one made by Boston artist Henry Pelham. And Arden likes to say Paul Revere continues to be overrated. That is true. I feel like people who actually do things more impressive than him or do more, most of the work don't get noticed. And Paul Revere is like no. the guy. I agree. I agree. I, he didn't even the ride thing that, that he's much. Famous, right. The thing that he's famous for, his ride, was like one of the shorter ones and one of the later. Like there were other people who, who did. For sure. He also like got stopped the, by the Brit. Like it's a yeah, whole thing. No. It's the a whole thing. thing. Look. No. Whoever his publicist was did an amazing oh job. They are an American hero. W- should be hired by everybody Should be else. hired. Shoot. Yeah. So yeah, we'll post the Henry Pelham artwork from, of the Boston Massacre on our Instagram. So you can yes. check it out there. Yes. So back to the trial. It took seven months to arraign Preston and the other soldiers Uh, the other British soldiers involved in the Boston massacre and bring them to trial. Ironically, it was an American colonist. And I love this lawyer and future president of the United States, John Adams, who defended them Mm, and like, good for him. Cause he was like, we have ideas and ideals and principles. Yeah. And they're founded on that. Like you, you get a, you get a fair trial. You get a fair hearing. Like you're innocent until you're proven guilty. You know, it's like, the um, there is a mini series called John Adams that is yes. about this. That is about Woo! starts. I think literally episode one starts either the Boston massacre is happening or has just happened, and John Adams has been called upon to defend the British soldiers and his like love- moral, you know, uh, dilemma. I guess with doing that and him, you know, seeing it yep. through. Like, I agree. I think to provide somebody with a, you know, fair defense is not a betrayal of your countrymen. It's just no. to say, I think it's, I you think know, it's this is our, this is what we want to, this is what we will eventually found, find, found this country on is, you know, the right to a quick, speedy and fair trial. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think. I mean, I, I can understand how somebody at an immediate glance would think that it was some, like, how could you defend them? But the difference, the misconception is that it's yeah. not, that he's not defending their actions. He's defending them in a court of law. Right. So that they have good representation. Right. So that when they are found guilty, if they were found guilty, that it's actually, that that ruling would actually be of substance because right. they had a good defense. Right. They can't say, oh, well, I was defended by a colonist who wanted to see me hanged for this, you know, so this isn't a fair or just trial. 
Right. John Adams is like, I'm fair and just, my dude. I'll give you I'll yeah. give you everything I got. But if you're still found guilty, may the yeah. Lord be with you. So Adams was no fan of the British, but like we've been saying, wanted Preston and his men to receive a fair trial. After all, the death penalty was at stake and colonists didn't want the British to have an excuse to even the score. Mm-hmm. Certain that impartial jurors were non-existent in Boston, correct. correct. Adams correct. convinced the judge to seat a jury of non-Bostonians. Yeah. Where are you going to find somebody who hasn't heard about this? Right. And I think that's like, Please. honestly, so such a great point, right? Which is like, the outcome of them being executed is like pretty high if we leave it to just a standard, yeah, here's a court-appointed Bostonian lawyer. Here's a jury full of Bostonians. Are you guilty? Yes. And goodbye, you will be hanged. So I think John Adams trying to like legitimize the outcome of execution by trying to make the trial as fair as possible totally brings down the risk of a British full-ass invasion and then the British coming and, like, killing everybody who was a part of this trial. Yeah. So during Preston's trial, Adams argued that confusion that night was rampant. Obviously, you've got 18,000, and that's not true. You've got a band of men, some drunk, yeah. hearing things and yeah. being confused about who was doing what. There's a lot and of witnesses screaming. presented contradictory evidence on whether Preston had ordered his men to fire on the colonists. Mm. But after witness Richard Palms testified that, quote, after the gun went off, I heard the word fire. The captain and I stood in front about half between the breech and muzzle of the guns. I don't know who gave the word to fire. Close quote. So basically, this guy who was there is saying, Things were crazy. Somebody said fire. Right. I was in this position. I don't know who said the word fire. Right. He doesn't know if it was somebody on the colonist side or somebody on the British side. Right. So using this man as a witness, Adams argued that reasonable doubt existed. Sure. Yeah. And Preston was found not guilty. The remaining soldiers claimed self-defense and were all found not guilty of murder. Two of them, Hugh Montgomery and Matthew Kilroy, great names were found guilty of manslaughter and were branded on the thumbs as first offenders per English law. Oh Which, gosh. what? Okay, I, Houston, are you listening? Houston, I want to do an episode all on ye old punishments for crimes. Like, English yes. punishments for crime. I, that's, we, a fun episode, maybe yes. for my birthday. I want to do an episode just on this because it's honestly, I'm sure that there is some, like there is some dude who was like, this logically makes sense because the thumb, you have to have your thumb on the musket when you kill somebody. So that should be branded or like everybody uses a thumb. So it'll be easy to see that somebody's killed somebody like it's in a noticeable spot or every time you touch something you're reminded that you've killed somebody like the logic behind these punishments i think is so fascinating we've got to do a deep dive yeah i that that really was because where is it and what is it of like a little is it a engraving of like a little gun like (laughs) i mean oh my god is it it on the thumb print 
Is it? I'm sure it's like M for manslaughter or like, or murder or K for killed or like, you know, something that's identifiable that everybody knows what the brand means, like what the, what the symbol is. Oh my God. What if it's a skull, you know, like a skull, (laughs) super metal. (laughs) One teardrop. Right. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. The original teardrop tattoo. The original teardrop. To Adams and the jury's credit, the British soldiers received a fair trial despite the vitriol felt towards them and their country. The Boston Massacre had a major impact on relations between British and the American colonists for obvious reasons. Sure. It further incensed colonists already weary of British rule and unfair taxation and roused them to fight for independence. Yeah, because they were like, we can we can fight these guys? Right. What? Right. This is the thing we can do? Yeah. Hallelujah. So over the next five years, the colonists continued their rebellion and staged the Boston Tea Party. They formed the First Continental Congress and defended their militia arsenal at Concord against the Redcoats, effectively launching the American Revolution. So, yes, this was one of the first big moments. Yeah. Where the Americans are coming into the Well, the colonists at this point, they're coming into their own. Right. Realizing that they can fight. And they're sick and tired of the British being bossy little whiny babies. Right. And like in retrospect, I think while in the moment the colonists were probably super, super mad that that Preston and the other soldiers mostly weren't found guilty. So like held to account. I think the fact that there wasn't any real like nobody was executed from the british was kind of pivotal to the colonists being given time to like properly organize for the american revolution because i do Mm -hmm. feel that had they executed any of those soldiers definitely if they executed the captain again the british would have flooded with redcoats probably would have sparked like a version of the American revolution way earlier before the colonists really had time to sit down and organize and like gather militia. And I don't think they would have been successful in any sort of revolution at that point because they weren't ready. So I think it was good that this just made them really mad to the point where they were Mm -hmm. like, let's start getting things on paper. Let's start drawing up some ideas. Let's get a think tank going. How can we get rid of these British? Right. Pivotal. Yeah. Pivotal. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But that that's that's it. That's the Boston Massacre. Yeah. In a nutshell, but like, man oh man. It you know, I feel like the thing I think is overlooked the most in the teaching of the Boston Massacre is that we did provoke it. <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. you know, I feel like the, the surface level education is that the British killed colonists and that's what made the colonists mad, which is true, but the right. British killed colonists because colonists were ganging up on a single British soldier who may or may not have gotten killed because of that skirmish. Somebody yells fire in a gunfight, which is insane. And uh-huh. people start shooting. I mean, yep. You know, were were the British justified in shooting? I don't know. I don't know. According to the jury of law, they weren't guilty. 
They weren't guilty. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what they don't teach us. I feel like they also don't teach us that they weren't found guilty, you know? Oh, no. No. Well, the the propaganda is like the the colonists were great. Right. Long live the colonists. The colonists were innocent. And it's just like, they weren't that innocent. They were saucy. Look, oh. I, my heart's with the colonists always, but you can love mm-hmm. somebody and go, my dude. <laughs> yeah. You got to take accountability for your actions here a little bit. Like, yikes, mcgikes. No, of course they're going to shoot you. They're the redcoats. Yeah. So, anywho, that is our episode on the Boston Massacre, y'all. This was very fun. I love when we go to the Revolutionary War. I love talking about skirmishes and battles. It's one of our favorite topics. Uh, not that this mm-hmm. is a battle, but it's like a skirmish. It's a skirmish. It's important. It's complicated. It's layered. And, you know, we like to peel back the layers and see what the actual truth is. So we hope you enjoyed that. And as always... We love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.